this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. You know they're finally making a Born to Run movie, I think, with Matthew McConaughey. Really? I just read that the other day because I ordered that book. What's all that? Oh, I guess I did get those books. All right. All right. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. This is Matt Sodnikar, your host. Thank you so much for listening, for your feedback, for your uh, sharing it. <clears throat> it really means a lot. I appreciate it. And uh, with me today is going to be uh, more of a unique guest. Like I'm talking to this guy because everybody tells a story when they're on the podcast. But uh, Chris Sullivan, who is a late bloomer and a renaissance man, has told me some of the absolute funniest stories I have heard. And I wanted to capture them. And with that, Chris, uh, welcome to Two Idiots in a Room. Good to talk to you, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> the story of my life right there <laughs> so the first story that i wanted to capture was the uh the ferrari story <laughs> yeah so uh back in the 90s i was a valet at the desert inn which is no longer there it's yeah. an old school rat pack hotel uh which is later went through a whole bunch of stuff and got bought by Steve Wynn, who's not a nice person, but, and then, uh, then we, you know, we all got closed and laid down, uh, laid off and everything. And the right about the time we were getting laid off, I think they had announced it and they were having a, um, a meeting like you could go to where they tell you how you're getting screwed. Right. So you're just <laughs> like, uh, and so I was working there and I had already decided I was working there till the last day. Cause if you have a job in Vegas like that, and you try to go somewhere else, it's all seniority, it's all whatever. So you'd start at the bottom, you're kind of screwed. It's really hard to get those jobs. And then the other guy I was hanging out with, Dave, he was like a 20-year bellman. He um, had like five kids. He hadn't been able to find another job. He was all stressed out and everything else. Plus, he had had to stop smoking weed because he was trying to find a new job after 20 years and whatever <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. Um, but earlier in the day, uh, I had gotten a call from – this VP guy who was kind of like Wynn's right-hand man, and he had, uh, after they announced they were firing us, within a week, he came with like a half a million in new cars. And we're all just like, screw you, dude, because this is- You can cuss. Okay, I was like, this is bullshit. It's fucked up. (laughs) And you're letting all these people go. And I'd only worked there for like four years, but you had people that had been there. One lady, uh, she'd been there since 1954, and this was 2000. Wow. And so, and the hotel had opened in 1950, right? And she's a cocktail waitress the whole time. And she was like, everybody's like the sweetest grandma, Rose. I, my buddy uh, that I worked with, Greg, it was his mom. You know, and she'd be like, give my boy a hug for me. I'm like, yeah, I'm not hugging your son. But so <laughs> anyway, uh, so I'm, I work at the nighttime by myself. And then in the morning, somebody else comes and help out. So I got a call from the VP guy. And he tells me, and you need, need to go to the other end of the hotel, um, which is like the casino end, to pick up uh, and park his car for him. Now, I hadn't seen this car yet, but I get over there, and they have this giant wood chipper-like machine. like Think of like a garbage truck, right? But it's chipping chips because they're worth money, right? 
So you have to destroy them because otherwise you could catch them in. You're like, yeah, I, I don't know what the time is now, but there's a time frame where you, you still catch your chips in, even if the casino's closed or whatever. Um, and anyway, so they had armed guards and all that stuff, and he's like, oh, here's the key to my car. This is how it unlocks. I'm like, like I'm a fucking moron. And I'm like, I have I have parked so many cars. You're like, you got to be kidding me. So it's this red Ferrari, you know, just think like Magna PI, like Ferrari, whatever. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. I go to get in the car and I'm in a hurry because I'm losing money because I'm not the other parking cars. And it's an automatic. Right? Yeah. Like who buys an automatic Ferrari? I mean, you're not disabled. Or something where you need, you know, you need it, whatever. Um, I'm like, what a jackass, right? So I'm like, I get in the Ferrari, <laughs> and I'm just pissed because he's just a jerk anyway. But so now I get around the corner, and I don't know, it's maybe like, let's just say like 70, 80 yards to the front door where the rest of the guys are. And I put it in neutral, and I just start revving it up and revving it up. <laughs> and they're all looking at me like horrified. These guys have been there for decades that are working there. Like They're like, no. And then I just dropped in, <laughs> came flying up to the front and just stop on a dime right in front of everybody else. And then I put it back in neutral. They're all like, don't do it, don't do it. And I take off again. And then I go park it in the garage. All right, so that's fine. Well, then later when they all go to this meeting, it's just me and that guy, Dave, because everybody else wanted to go. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm working here till the day they put the fence up around the joint. Whatever, it is what it is. So then I say to Dave, you know, you want to go for a ride in this Ferrari? He's like, well, I've never been in one before. And I was like, 20 years, you've never been in a Ferrari? You worked right here? He's like, nope. And I was like, all right, hold on. I'll go get it. So I go get it. He's like, who's going to watch the front? I'm like, who gives a shit? We are getting fired in like three weeks, right? Who cares? So he, um, he's like, well, I guess you're right. And that was back, you know, he had like the little instant cameras, right? The wind them, you know, with the plastic covers on them, whatever. And so... I don't know how we had one of those. One of us had. And so I get him in the car and I take him into the parking lot and I'm just like, whatever. But then in this parking garage, just the valet and the employee parking garage, and it's pretty tight. We were doing 60 mile an hour <laughs> in the parking garage. That was, I should say, I was. He was holding on for dear life the whole time and just like freaking out. And I'm like, come on, hurry. Just ripping through this parking garage. I mean, we're lucky we didn't crash or anything, but still. Then I get to the end, and then, of course, we had that camera, so now I'm taking all these pictures with them and all that kind of stuff. And He's, like, just being, like, model, like, on the prices Right, laying on the cars and taking pictures, whatever. <laughs> and um, and then uh, before <clears throat> I took him back or before I parked the car again, I was like, hold on, I got to do one thing. And I went in the glove box, and I took out the insurance card. And he's like, why are you doing that? I go, ah, this is an old-school trick. So one of the old-school Valley guys had taught me that a couple years ago. If somebody's fucking with you, and you really want to mess with them, he goes, take their insurance card or their registration, one of the two. Because when they get pulled over, and they will, <laughs> it won't be there, and they'll get a ticket. And even though it's registered or insured or whatever, they'll have to like go through the trouble and all that kind of stuff. So I still have it somewhere. It's in a box. I should find that somewhere. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I've so it's probably like a 2000 Ferrari I have an insurance card for from this guy whatever <laughs> so anyway but that that was just like the, the ferrari so it was kind of like ferris bueller's day off where we're just hauling ass in the ferrari and whatever and then yeah i love the slow burn <clears throat> on the uh you know you could have totaled the car or let there out of the tires or something but the insurance card i love the subtlety yeah, that's and where, the long game of that yeah that's why the old school guys told me it's got 
I remember his name was Pat, and he he had told me that. And he, you know, just little tricks from those guys about stuff. I mean, we were learned we learned the trick where you put the little pebble in the you take the the tire valve cap off, put a little pebble there, and you put it back on slowly, and it'll give a slow leak. There is that. We did that to a couple people who would park in the valet where they busted our uh, gate going in. And we oh. know who parked in the valet because we always backed our cars in. Every car was backed in. So if all of a sudden one's not backed in, you know somebody else did it. And then this one kids where their parents were crazy high rollers. At this, this is like a five-star hotel. And they would come from L.A. And then the kids would just kind of ride on the parents' coattails and never tip anybody park where they weren't supposed to all that stuff and we're like listen dude just throw a couple bucks to somebody and they'll get your car or whatever and then yeah the guy had one of those cars where he's just like two inches off the ground you know like whatever <laughs> and then now he's got this flat tire and the kid comes back and he's like oh and this is like the fourth time this kid had done this to us so we only finally did the yeah. tire thing and uh it's like oh do you have and of course we have an inflator we have a jump start we got all that stuff I'm like yeah sorry we don't now, at the time, the strip was a whole lot different, right? So, I mean, the closest gas station was probably at least a mile, right? So now he's crawling down Las Vegas Boulevard, like probably half an inch off the ground, <laughs> you know, with his tire or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, too bad. Don't, don't fuck with the valets. I mean, we had a um, – it was because it was a Rat Pack hotel. We had the um, – uh, they did a Rat Pack show for a little while where it was all like, you know, Sammy Davis impersonators, Frank Sinatra, all that kind of stuff. And it was, um, uh, what was the guy's name from, uh, the Partridge family? Um, Cassidy, Cassidy. David yeah. Cassidy. What a jackass. Right. <laughs> thought, thought he was the bee's knees <clears throat> decades after whatever. And it's like, you know, there's lots of famous people that come in and they were cool. Right. And nice. And then there's other ones that were, jack- he was a jackass and he was, he was like a D-list guy, you know, I guess yeah. if you were going to do something now. Um, and he would do that to us all the time. Oh, I forgot my phone in the car. Oh, right. So you'd have to keep running back and forth. And we'd never tip anybody. So after a while, we'd be really busy. You know, it's a Friday night. I'm like, I don't have time for you to be an idiot. If you were nice and just threw somebody five bucks once in a while, they would have done it. And so we'd be like, here you go. Here's your key, sir. It's down there on the left-hand side, whatever. And the thing is like, you know, 100 yards away. So... And then we started parking his car outside, <laughs> you know, so it's, you know, it's no it's big deal if it's at nighttime, right? But Vegas in the summertime and your car's parked outside. Yeah. Then after a while, he started tipping us. <laughs> so, because one of the guys in his show did the same thing. I forget which, which uh, Rat Packer he was impersonating, but he was doing the same thing for a little while too. And finally, yeah, he started tipping us because I'm, like, I'm not playing that game. Just be cool, man. Just, Just be, be cool. cool. We were teamsters, man. We didn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the back then, the Oscar Goodman was the mayor of Las Vegas, and he was the mob famous mob lawyer. So oh. he would come into the hotel and park right up front, and just he would talk to all the employees. He, yeah, his wife was the mayor for a while, but I think maybe they have a new mayor now. But he was old school Vegas. So he knew who to talk to, who to get the votes from, and all stuff. But he was totally cool, right? And yeah, so what's that line in? Uh, is it <clears throat> Ocean's Thirteen or something? Where uh, Elliot Gould's character is like, "You shook hands with Frank." Yes, there's okay. <laughs> so here's a Vegas story, which I I don't think I've ever told you this one. And this is just one of my 
coolest things that ever happened to me in life, right? Okay. Where we, um, the hotel was going to close. It was about two months out because um, we had, you know, maybe like- And what a, year was this about? It was 2000. It okay. was the fall of 2000 because um, <clears throat> I think we officially closed sometime in September. I forget the exact day. Oh, man, I got a picture. It was cool. We we're all standing out front. There's one guy, his family had been coming there for decades. He's handing out 200 bucks to every employee. It was nuts. And they literally put a fence around the building while we were in there. Like there was a chain link fence around the whole property that wasn't there when we started that day. Wow. Because I wasn't even supposed to work that day. I uh, I was like, well, I don't want to miss this, right? So I put my uniform on. I went to work. And um, I'll get to that other story in a minute. But I go, I go to work. And at one point, the one supervisor who I didn't like that much, he looks at me. He's like, "Um, did you clock in today? And I was like, "Uh, yeah. I wasn't even supposed to work, right? And he goes, good. I want everybody to get paid. And I was like, okay. (laughs) All I was doing is I was running around. And I went down and I knew where, you know, all the bars and stuff in the, you know, they knew they were shutting down. So they weren't buying anything. Right. Mm. So like stuff was running out. Like, oh, they don't have this anymore, whatever. I went and I found like a half of a handle of vodka at the one bar and just grabbed it from the back bar, you know, in the casino and then found some orange juice and whatever. And I was making, um, uh, what do you call it? Screwdrivers. Screwdrivers. And um, in the valet booth for all the valet and bellmen. Anybody came in, I'm sitting there mixing drinks, and then, and we're all working, right? So, who cares? I mean, that is the last day. You're like, who cares? And some of those people have been there for decades and stuff, and then, you know, a couple times, people came in and you thought that you're going to get yelled at, and they're like, can I have one? I'm like, yes, yes, you can. And then I went and I I scrounged up more booze, more whatever, and just, yeah, making drinks and all that kind of stuff. So, that was a lot of fun. But when we knew that we were getting uh, fired, we had gotten uh, an invitation from this guy Tony O, who was Sinatra's manager or something back in the day. Wow. And had become or somehow you know, I don't ended up as Don Rickles manager. Okay. So another not in the rat pack, but in the rat pack group, right? They're all friends and like old school real deal stuff. And so, um, and Don had been playing there for a long, long time. I'd never got to meet him. And he's like, Listen, Don wants me to invite all of you guys, the whole front, to come to the show as his guests because you've, you know, you've taken care of us for years and years and years and years, and he wants everybody to come. And so I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I am not missing this, right? And and I'm one of the younger guys there by far. I think at that time I was, I guess, I just turned 30. Um, but most of those guys, like I said, have been there on the low end like 15, 20 years. Right, some guys thirty years more, that kind of thing. So um, now, you know, I, normally I would be asleep at that time because I would go to work at one in the morning. So at the showtime, that's the time that I would be asleep. You know, I work. I, I learned after a while it took me. I slept twice a day. I come home, I sleep for three or four hours, then I would get up for a while, and then I go back to sleep because it, it tried it over a year to figure it out, right? Um, but I'm like, I'm, I'll miss sleep to go to the show. This is going to be amazing. So we go. And of course the guys that work in the showroom, they know everybody. It's always good. So we got great seats. Luckily we weren't in the front row cause Rickles would roast the shit out of anybody. <laughs> right. So I'm like, I don't want to be that guy, but we're like about five or six rows back and had a great time and all this stuff. And then Tony comes back and asks us, he goes, Don would like to invite you guys to his dressing room. And I'm like, hell yeah. Right, so now we go back to the dressing room and we're having cocktails with Don Rickles. There's like maybe like ten of us and him, 
and that Tony O guy. And it was just insane. And he is making you laugh like so hard <laughs> where, he, you know, he's just talking to you and you are just like, and you're kind of like, it, this is not real. This is like insane. This is badass. Right. And where it's that kind of that connection to uh, Sinatra or somebody like sure. that, where you're like, you know, I couldn't pay to do this. And then pretty much the highlight was where he walks over to me at some point. I don't know what I said. I'm sure it was fucking hilarious. But <laughs> what I said, what I don't know what I said, but he walks over to me and he's a little guy. And I'm not a big dude, right? But he walks over, he reaches up, he squeezes both my cheeks at the same time. And he goes, you're a good kid. I like you. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like that was, wow. you know, I, I mean, he might do that to everybody. Who the hell knows, right? But you were just like, that was amazing. And I had one friend at the time that I grew up with that I knew if I called him and told him that story, he would be like, that was sick. And then somewhere at the same thing, I got a picture where it's like a real picture of the whole group of us with Don Rickles and our cocktails in our hand and all that kind of stuff. But it was uh, like, it was a great job. I hate Las Vegas, but the job that I had uh, was a lot of fun. And we did a lot of crazy stuff in the middle of the night. Um, people didn't want to work that graveyard shift, uh, but I had gotten a tip from one guy that was like, listen, it's just you, so you can kind of do what you want and, you know, have supervisors over your, you know, whatever. And it turned out to be a great deal. And the, the people I work with at night, I had a lot of fun with them. Um, you know, we had this little lady from Uganda that worked upstairs in the employee dining room because, you know, they, it's basically like, a, you know, you go in and you tell the cook what you want. At nighttime, they don't have as much stuff. During the day, all kinds of food, right? But at nighttime, we had this guy, Dave, and he cook you up you want some eggs pancakes whatever what do you want because i'd have lunch at three or four in the morning and uh margaret um she was super dark skin like i don't think i've ever personally known anyone that was she's from uganda she was teeny tiny she looked like she was 12 and she had like five kids and she was like sweet and i tell you margaret cleaned up you know somebody would say well what job do you want i want to park cars whatever Ah, work in the employee dining room people throw money at you She's cleaning up trays, getting you, you need some more soda, you know, whatever it is you got. And uh, she was going nuts. And there was a time where she um, <laughs> she gave me a picture of, uh, you know, like a family picture thing from like, you know, Sears or something probably back in the day where she took her kids and got the picture taken. And um, she's like, I want to give you this. It's me and my kids. And she's so sweet. Oh, how cool. Yeah, she's so sweet. <clears throat> and uh, there's this, and like I said, she's super dark skin, right? There's this one kid. He's paler than me. And I was like, Margaret. What's up with that? Well, the guy that I took the shift over from, Nels, was this Norwegian guy and totally pale, you know, like the whole Scandinavian look. And I just, and I knew that she had a crush on Nels for a long time. So I finally was like, Margaret, I go, Nels? And she's like, just giggle, giggle, giggle. <laughs> so then, of course, I had to show that picture next time. I just kept in my pocket. And as soon as Nels came into work, I go, hey, Nels, we got to have a talk. He's like, what? I go, Margaret, she didn't want to talk to you about this because she's, you know, embarrassed. But... <laughs> Uh, the kids need new shoes. And, you know, when I pulled this picture out and he's like, no, it's not me. It's not me. And I'm like, I don't know, brother. I don't know. So, yeah. But, I mean, it was, it was a great job. A lot of fun people and all that kind of stuff. So, I like, you know, look fondly back on that. But Vegas. And Vegas has gotten worse now. Now I, I try hate to, I tried to get in and get out. Like, I went to this past summer to see uh, a comedian there and see Jim Jeffries. If you haven't seen him, he's really good. Oh, love him. Yeah, Australian yeah. guy. Um but other than that, I'm like, get me the hell out of here. Whatever happened with Dave and, and Rose? So Dave, <laughs> he, 
<laughs> he, um, I don't know if he ever found a job. Um, I mean, I can tell you a cool Dave story if you want to get a cool Dave <laughs> yeah. story. So Dave, um, <clears throat> same thing, when he knew he was getting laid off, and just a really nice guy, right? And uh, I mean, I knew his family and all stuff because whatever, but um, he had bought tickets to Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, was a huge Peppers fan, had like, I don't know, was it like a gear logo or whatever they have? Um, so he had that tattooed on his uh, one of his shoulders. And back before everybody and a grandma had tattoos, right, everywhere. But, um, and he had paid for a night at the Hard Rock and all this kind of stuff as a big thing. Well, once he knew he was getting laid off, he's like telling his wife, maybe I should sell this stuff. And his wife, like, no, no, no. You paid, you paid for it a long time ago. You should enjoy this because who knows when you're going to get to do it again, right? So Dave goes and during the day he's at the pool. He's trying to, you know, suck it all up as much fun as he can have. So he's in the pool, drinking beers, floating around on a float or something, and this couple's talking to them, uh, talking to him as guy and, guy and lady, right? And he's, you know, they all got their hats and sunglasses on because summertime freaking in Vegas, so they're all covered up in the pool. And the one guy notices his tattoo and everything, and he's like, well, that's really cool. You know, you're a big fan. He goes, oh, I'm going to the show. And he tells him the whole story about how he's getting laid off after 20 years and how, you know, his wife encouraged him to go and all that kind of stuff. So he's like, I'm just really looking forward to the show. So then, you know, they talk for like, I don't know, hour, two hours just floating around. And then that couple leaves. And maybe like 10 minutes later, somebody that works at Hard Rock comes over and tells him, sir, you've been invited to this cabana over here. So he's like, me? You know, he's like, I'm just an idiot in the pool by myself. Like, I don't know anyone here. And he is like, uh, okay. So he goes over to like this VIP, VIP cabana. So it turns out the guy he was talking to is Chad is the drummer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> and here's the big <clears throat> fan who's probably stoned, but he's like, but didn't even recognize him. You know, whatever. Like you said, they're all sunglasses, hats, whatever. And it was his wife. And then he went and told the band, I just met this guy. This is his story. The band's like, get him over here. So he spent the rest of the day with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Then went to the show, then got to go backstage, all that kind of stuff. So that's a rad story from them. Um, and a good thing for him because, you know, but that's probably the last thing I know of Dave. I mean, I talked to him a couple other times, but we'd all, everybody got laid off and there was only a couple people I, t- I kept in touch with after that. And uh, Vegas is very transitory, so it's it's hard. Um, but like I said, super cool people um, and real people. And, you know, Vegas, they'd always come all the time. One of the dumbest questions people always get. Uh, do you live here? No, dumbass. They fly me in every week. <laughs> All those houses you flew over coming in here. And they weren't even <laughs> half the houses that there are now. But everybody, at least once or twice a week, you get that question. Do you live here? I'm like, yes. I, you know, it'd be one thing if you're sitting next to each other at a craps table, right? And you'd like start sure. asking questions. But you're like, I work at the hotel. I have a name tag. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I don't know. So it's just such a weird place. My brother lived there for like twelve years. I got him a job as uh, a um, a bellman at Monte Carlo, and he uh, liked that job. And what he lived there for like twelve years, and you know I was long gone. And he uh, one day he just calls me up and goes, "Bro, I finally figured out why you hate this place so fucking much." He's like, "I gotta go." And he went from there to a little town in South Carolina where my mom and my stepfather lived at the time, which is a beautiful place on a lake and everything. But it was like 
he was like, I got to go. And he meant like, I got to go. Like, get what did out he of figure there. out? I, I just think he finally hated it like I did. It's uh. just, it, it's not for everyone. My father lived there until he passed away where he loved it. Um, and they, you know, that beautiful house on that, uh, up on a mountain, you saw the city, you know, when it's all lit up and everything. So that was cool, but not my thing. Not my thing. Well, there must be something cool about <clears throat> like Dave wouldn't have had that job for 20 years, right? Because yeah. it's not like, it's kind of like how, uh, uh, servers in Europe, that that's a career. Correct. And there must be something about the environment that kept him there. Well, I think it's kind of like my current job now as a male stewardess, right? Where I got 20 <laughs> years in. I ain't going anywhere, dude. Even though right now I do You've been there for 20 years? I've been there for 20 years right wow. now. Wow. Yeah, I don't know anybody that likes going to work right now, right? It's just one of those things. But, um, and I'm just lots of different factors for different people. But the other job, like I said, once you're in, it's seniority-based. So oh. all the shifts are seniority-based and- Unless they open a new hotel. So let's just say you work at the Desert Inn and all of a sudden Caesars has an opening. And you take the opening at Caesars, somehow get that. Which you got to be connected. I mean, I, I narrowed down at three places. I knew the right people. I was talking to them, whatever. I, w- I was a taxi driver before that. So I would drive a taxi for six months, which that was insane as well. But, um, But then you would start at the bottom. So why would you give up 20 years? So even if you really didn't like the place you worked, um, a lot of people didn't leave unless the hotel closed Mm. or whatever. Like I said, if there were new properties that opened up and you could get in there, like if you you and I get hired at the same time at this new property, you know, Hotel X, well, we're kind of on the same thing and they'll figure out that seniority, but it won't be that big of a difference. And then- you know, within a year, they'll be hiring other people. So you'll get people. So yeah, it'd be totally different. And then it's the money that everybody wants to go to the new property, all that kind of stuff. But this old school Rat Pack Hotel, super, super classy, had a golf course, everything. You made money because you knew people. I mean, I had Smith's Grocery Stores, which is kind of a Southwest thing. Um, Mr. Smith would come in. He had his own limo back then, right? That was a big deal. Like you didn't, nobody drove around their own limo. It's a white limo. His driver, I forget the guy's name, but super cool. And he would call us. We didn't have cell phones, right? He's like calling the valley booth. <laughs> but he he did in the car, whatever. He had a phone in the car. Who knows? It might have been like 10 pounds for that. I don't know. But he would call and he would tell you if they were coming. And he'd be like, hey, we're going to be at this door. And he knew the guys that worked on each shift and because he liked to come to that hotel. And he would come in and I would go run to the – I don't care if there were 10 people waiting in line to get a car. Like, I'll be right back and run to the other end of the hotel. It's like 100 yards, whatever. I get down there and Mr. Smith pulls up. I open the door. Hey, Mr. Smith. Hey, hey, Chris, how you doing? Boom, 100 bucks. Boom, 100 bucks. Every time I saw that guy. And the same thing that guy would tell you when you were coming out. Hey, we're probably going to be in there for a couple hours. I'll call you when we're coming out. I'm like, okay. And he was like buddies with Mike Dicka and those guys. Every time I would see them, it was 100 all the time. And like I said, this was 1990 right? Or 2000. I mean, so 2000, so it's a long time ago. I'd take a hundred bucks right now, but I mean, still. Sure. Um, yeah, it was, it was good money. And, uh, my brother, when he worked in Monte Carlo, they made a lot, made good money, but you know, he would, he would kind of put the valet guys down there a little bit. Cause they'd be like, Oh, I, I got this. And he goes, Psh, that ain't nothing, man. My brother made 400 last night doing da, 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 in the middle <laughs> of the night. Right. And so it was just one of those things, but you knew the people, they knew you and that's how you made money. 
Um, I had a guy from New Orleans that every time he, I think he just, Mr. Boudreaux, I knew his name. It was 20 bucks. No matter what I did, uh, we had a Mr. Bowen. That guy, I don't think he cared anything but 50s. He just walked around and he would tip. He was like the nicest man. And you just say hi to him. And next thing you know, you almost felt bad taking his money. But he didn't care. He's like, have a good day. Go get some lunch. You know, whatever. Like, he was old school, that guy. And, like, when we were getting ready to close, a lot of those people were coming back because they knew and they wanted to stay some more. And so you just felt bad when you found out that Mr. Bowen had passed away. Mm. Because we were, like, kind of asked around, have you seen Mr. Bowen? I haven't. It's kind of weird that he hasn't showed up yet, right? Because you would expect him to be. And then we found out he had passed away. And then there was another family who... The one guy had been coming there for 30 years. His dad had been coming there since the hotel opened. And he's the guy that handed out 200 bucks to everybody the day the hotel closed. I mean, he just walked around. Boom, here, for you, for you, for you, for you. I mean, yeah, he was the last guy on the craps table. There was some famous guy that tried to butt him out of it. And then the, all the dealers and everybody are like, no, he gets the dice last. So he got to throw the last. Wow. So because they knew this is that family, they've taken care of us for decades. This is who, you know, Rose. I mean, people would throw $100 chips on Rose. This is before we even knew it closed. They'd throw a $100 chip on Rose's uh, tray. Like, Rose, I can get my own drink. Take a break. You know, whatever. <laughs> and uh, just, I mean, she, like I said, she's just this sweet old lady. Every Christmas she would come, she had like a, a car full of presents. And that was for customers. But that she had known them forever right. and knew their kids and everything. And we would help her mail them and all that kind of stuff. So, um, All about relationships. Yeah, and, it, and that's why that hotel was kick-ass. Um, and that's why I'm really glad I got to go there. Uh, even later, when I after I'd gotten laid off and stuff, um, I had gotten offers to go back. And it wasn't going to be the same. A buddy of mine that worked with the middle of the night, he got a job at, in Summerlin. There was like a in the suburbs, like a local, but a fancy one with a golf course and all that stuff. And he got in that job. And it was cool. And he wanted me to come work there. But I'm like, I don't want to live here anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I hadn't been able to find a job. And finally I was like, with Southwest, I was like, well, I'm either going to get this job or not. And they hadn't called me back. You know, and they're, oh, we'll let you know in two weeks, whatever. And I'm like, three weeks later, I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but if you don't want me to do this, that's fine. I, uh... I got another job offer in Vegas. I have to take that because I have to do something. I can't not do this. And uh, then they call him back the next day. They're like, oh, no, no. Now you're going to be a stewardess. So <laughs> so what? <laughs> so back up just a second. Yep. So what was the – where did Southwest get on your radar to um, even apply for it? Well, I, I started dating a girl when I lived in Phoenix. So even before I went to Vegas – and I went to Vegas to work my dad. Like I had a pool service in Vegas for, or in Phoenix for several years while I was in the um, Army Reserve and stuff. And that was my job. I took care of and fixed. Like, I had 100 pools that I took care of every week. And then I had, um, you know, like I worked for a company, like subcontract where I fix them and stuff. And then if you got a new one, I would get it going. Well, then I was out at a bar with my brother and um, uh, and some of our friends. And they were, I don't know why, you know, you're like 25 or something dumb. And you're just like, Somebody decided to use code names. I have no idea, right? <laughs> I don't. I don't know who it was. And that's my, always a good idea, yes. by the well, way. Well, I mean, it's always a good idea and fun. But yeah, I guess even at my now. But the uh, it wasn't me. One of those guys did. And my brother Andrew had come up, like just off the top of his head, with uh, Tom O'Reilly, and he would always like, "Hi, Tom. Tom O'Reilly. 
kind of like Bond, James Bond, whatever. But he would just like Tom, <laughs> Tom O'Reilly. And we were at this, like, it was on Mill Avenue in Tempe, you know, where college kids going, whatever, shooting pool. We go there all the time. And then I heard my brother introduce himself to these girls behind me. And there's another set of brothers that were there and, and a couple other friends of ours. And then he says, oh, and I knew he had introduced himself as that. And he turns around, oh, have you met my brother? Well, I didn't have an alias at the time. <laughs> so I just said, Pete, Pete O'Reilly, right? So since like 1995, my alias has been Pete O'Reilly. And we got Tom O'Reilly and Pete O'Reilly, right? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it worked. And then, of course, the one the one girl I end up talking to the most, she's just like, that's not really your name, is it? I go, yeah. She let me see your ID. I go, I don't bring my ID. I go, we come here all the time. I don't even bring my license. I don't even have my wallet, which I didn't, right? <laughs> I had my license in my pocket, but I didn't have a wallet. And she's just like, really? And, the, and they're like, yeah, ask any of them what my name is. Just walk over there, and they know, of course, they did. And then, then uh, I end up dating her for five, no, four years. And about halfway through, she became a flight attendant. And so she uh, it's one of those, it happens all the time. Well, it used to, I don't know about now. Where let's say you and I go because you don't want to go to the interview by yourself, right? So my buddy did it with his daughter. She didn't want to go by herself. Oh. And so my buddy went. He got the job. She didn't. So instead of hiring this super cute, like 21-year-old girl who would be perfect, you hire this old curmudgeon guy who was like, <laughs> I don't know, 45 at the time, right? Because he just retired last year after 20 years. He, uh, 19 years, I guess, whatever. But he um, he gets a job where my friend uh, or my girlfriend, she went because her friend didn't want to go by herself. And then she gets a job, not her friend. So for a couple of years, she's flight attendant. And then I got that job up in Vegas and had to move. And then it was kind of that whole thing. And I didn't really understand the commuting stuff. And I was like, well, um, and I had a much better job than she did. I made way more money than she did, right? Parking cars in the middle of the night and doing all kinds of whatever things that I had to do to make some money. <laughs> Only a couple of slightly illegal things, but no drugs or any of that kind of shit. So, um, you know, it's Vegas. But anyhow, then... Uh, Wait, hard stop on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's one more story that I think we need. The 10,000 square foot suite. Oh, then well, we can get back to well, the Well, yeah, airline. yeah. She would come to visit on her overnights. She would come to visit on her overnights, and uh, she didn't like my job because, I mean, we had hookers coming in there, and they're like models. Like, wow. There was this one girl back when the Acura NSX was a sweet car. Oh, it yeah. Was a brand new car, and uh, she had one of those, and she was just like the, the statuesque, like kind of island, Pacific, Asian, whatever. Woof. And she wore these amazing dresses, and she'd get – Every time she would get out of her car and I'd hold the door for her and she'd walk behind me in like rubber boobs on my back. And I'd just be like, you're killing me. And she goes, I know, I know. And I forget what her name was, but I told her one time, I go, you know, I make a good living. I, whatever. I go, you can marry me and just sleep with me. And she just laughed. She goes, I will keep that in mind. But so my old girlfriend hated the job, right? But she would come over on her overnights because they put them up at like Circus Circus, which is a dump down the street. If you have a clown fear or whatever. <laughs> Calophobia. That's, Calophobia. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh, that is not the place to go. I've been there forever. I don't even know what's still standing, but that place, woof. That's a um, disaster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why like, we would work at our hotel and be like, wait a second. You guys are, the people would come, like when we were going to close, they'd drop the rates a bunch and people would come in and would complain. Oh, this, and I go, listen, 
you're like circus circus people. You should be down the street. This place <laughs> is a five star hotel, and the fact that you got it for ninety nine bucks, you are making out like a bandit. So you should just enjoy what you're getting here because you're probably never staying in anything like that. So she would come down on overnights, hang out, because <laughs> um, we have AM and PM crews, right? So the AMers go to work in the morning, blah blah blah. So PM crews, you get done late, and you usually go have a couple drinks. So she would come down, and then I would conveniently time my breaks. Right, so I would just—you're a smart guy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not as dumb as I look most of the time. So she would come down, and I would tell on the front desk girls. I, I usually scope it out ahead of time. I could look to see what rooms were empty and stuff. And we had these ten thousand square foot rooms that had their own pools and pool table rooms, and just it was a pools. house. Yeah, their own wow. pool. Like it's a ten thousand square foot room, if you want to think of it that way. Yeah. Okay. Wow. There were three thousand and five thousand and all that kind of stuff. But, and you know, depends on what was available. But there's a couple of times we went in the 10,000 square foot room. I'm like, I'm going to lunch, wink, wink. And then away <laughs> we go. An hour or so, come back later. We're like, all right, lunch is over. Uh, housekeeping, makeup, whatever. <laughs> but only that room. We only went to that room, whatever. So, you know, it wasn't so bad. And I don't know. The valet booth a couple of times. That was fun. Because anybody could have just opened that door and you would have been like sitting right there, like, hello. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's like, why I end up uh, when I got laid off and all that kind of stuff and I moved back to Phoenix um, and I was trying to figure stuff out because that was kind of when the relationship with her was getting really weird, whatever. Because she wouldn't move up there. Oh. Um, and uh, I remember my brother like blurting it out at dinner. It was the three of us. And he just goes, you, you ask her yet? I go, at, at dinner at a restaurant. And I was like, dude, I'll talk to her about that later. He's like, ask me what? Then I'm like, oh, God. So I tell her, I go, <laughs> well, I figured it's maybe you could move up here for a couple months and then see the commuting thing because I didn't know how that worked. Now I know it would have been a joke. So she just bursts out crying and then, like, runs away from the table. And I was like, uh. And my brother's like, dude, sorry, man. I didn't think it was going to go that way. <laughs> so I was like, you're not the only one. And then it just never happened or whatever. So I ended up back there. I'm trying to like, you know, make it work. And then I applied for a bunch of different jobs. And then eventually um, I got the job at Southwest. Now, I almost didn't get it because I went to uh, do the drug test. Never done drugs in my entire life, right? I go and drink a bunch of water, you know, because I want to make sure that I pee when I get there or whatever. And, of course, I'm waiting, 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 and I finally have to uh, – I go, lady, listen, I'm sorry, but if I don't go next couple minutes, I'm going to pee my pants. And she's like, wah, wah, wah. so I'm like, okay, whatever. So I go in the bathroom. Sure enough, as soon as I come out, they call my name. Luckily, I had a gallon of water, so I still could make it happen. Well, then I go back, and I'm looking at the paperwork. Now, you know, was, I mean, we had internet, but come on. It was like, <laughs> you know, whatever, stick the <laughs> CD in, that kind of thing. And so we – um I'm looking at the paperwork that I fill out for these different jobs, and I look at this Southwest one, and I go, uh, I don't think that's right. So I call Southwest, and I go, hey, um, you know, because she was the one encouraging me, you should apply for Southwest. And I was looking at the ramp on the ground, but they don't make squat. They still don't. I mean, under they're underpaid, those guys. And so I was like, I'll use more money in Gatorade per hour than I would make working on the concrete in downtown Phoenix at the airport in the summertime. You're insane. And so, I mean, I already worked outside as a uh, pool guy for years. I knew what this was going to, and I, then I could jump in the pool. Um, so I was like, well, flight attendant. All right. 
They make $14 and like 58 cents or whatever it was an hour, which is complete garbage. But still, that was better than the ramp. And so, like I said, the paper didn't look right. I called Southwest and the lady puts me on hold after I read it to her. And she's then she comes back. She's like, yeah, you need to go do it again. And I'm like, ah. I'm like, all right. So I go. Um, I said, listen, last time I had, you know, it's like the Jersey kid where I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'm just like, listen, last time I had to do this. I'm not doing that again. And the lady's like, oh, okay. Uh, well, they'll put you in first, all that kind of stuff. And I get there and the lady that runs the testing center or whatever, she's like, I'm really sorry that happened. We were really busy and I just pulled the wrong paperwork and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, all right. So I do it. It's fine. I know I'm going to pass. Right? I don't worry about it. Well, the funny thing is that the paperwork looks identical, right? But it's kind of like that carbon copy thing. Oh, so yeah. in one section of it where it's supposed to, who it's supposed to go to, it said America West Airlines, not Southwest, right? Now, I didn't know before. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe they use the same thing. Like, I don't know. They share testing. I have no idea. No, it was wrong, right? So it's wrong paperwork. Well, about a week later, I get a call from America West Airlines who you know, became USA and all that kind of stuff. I go, I never applied at America West, any of that kind of shit. And they're like, we would like to offer you a position as a flight attendant at America West Airlines. And I was like, what? I didn't even apply. <laughs> like, whatever. So a buddy of mine, who I knew since I first moved there, we were young kids working at a pizza joint together, lived in the same apartment place. I, I went out and tried to save his car when it was getting repoed one night, you know, because he was broken. <laughs> I mean, he was just—he's a good guy. He still lives there. He's got like four kids or whatever now. But he—he he was afraid to fly, and he was from Chicago. So when I would take him to go, like, give him a ride to the airport, um, you know, he—I'd have to go. Like the joke was, he'd like bring me some alcohol, and I'd buy him like a bottle of wine and a donut because it was like breakfast, you know, at, <laughs> from like Seven Eleven. And I'm like, here you go. But he would drink it and eat it, right? And just go to the airport and get buzzed up. Well, he ended up getting his license later and then became um, a supervisor at America West. So I call him up and I'm like, dude, what the fuck's going on? I go, I I don't even apply for this job. And I get a call, can I explain what happened? And he goes, dude, we will take anyone that passes a drug test. Anyone. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is great. That's very safe for you to know. At least it's a long time ago now. So they don't even operate anymore. But yeah, they would take anybody. But, and then, you know, I got the job. But because of that delay, uh, I got pushed in another class, you know, because they do the classes every so often. So now my class was going to be 191, you know, the number out of uh, starting on September um, 10th of 2001. So if you got your calendar, you can figure out what the next day was. So we take our little test. We're all in there. There's like 250 of us in this class. I mean, we're all spread out. and It's a test at the airport and everything. And then they all call us in the room. You know, nobody, I, a handful of those 250 people had a cell phone, right? Most people did not have a phone or whatever. They didn't even have TVs in that training center. They yeah. just had radio. And then they tell us, you know, something happened. The World Trade Center, they shut down it. And now you're at the airport and it's like dead silent. Nothing's moving. And it was like that for however many days. It was super, super creepy. And then they sent us back, and then they're like, we don't know if we're going to come get you in the morning. So <laughs> be ready uh, at this whatever time, like 730 in the morning or something like that, and then we'll get you or we won't get you. And then they got us, and later they're just like, okay, we're going um, to – we've decided to keep you. You made the commitment to be here. and Because I, I was shitting my pants because all my stuff was in storage. I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't have a job. 
nothing, right? And you can get paid for training or anything then. And you're like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, I don't even know where I would go. Like, if you just said, yeah. it's time for you to go home. I'm like, but where? Like, to a storage unit where my crap is? <laughs> In a state, like three states over? I'm like, uh, yeah. And how are you going to get me there? There's no point. Like, you know, it was just, it was a really crazy, weird uh, time. And like I said, my class is 191, so 911. And it was just a very, very weird, like, rest of the month, I guess. I think we left there on the 12th of October. And then, of course, you didn't go anywhere for months. And it was just working in an airline when it's just 9-11. And, I mean, I was on, I was on working on flights where there's two people, one people, or one person, um, you know, 20 people, whatever. Just super crazy, weird. And, uh, I mean, yeah, there's tons of flights. I know they got all kinds of crazy stories because they might have got stranded somewhere, too, where they were already working. Yeah. And they were – the class right in front of me, they got stranded in their base where they were going to be. So my buddy Byron was the one in front of me which is the one I should have been in. He was like in Baltimore where they're supposed to meet their new you know, supervisors and this is where you're going to be based, blah, blah, blah. And uh, yes, yeah, so it was all jacked up. And it's hard to believe that was 20 years ago. So, yeah. I don't know. Lots of weird shit in between there. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the biggest misconception about <clears throat> that you hear about being a flight attendant? Well, there's going to be, you know, there's lots of stereotypes, right? And um, I always say the reason there are stereotypes is because there are people that fit those stereotypes, right? Whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, whatever. Um, and yes, we have the super, super flamboyant male flat attendants. And some of them are crazy drama queens like you would expect. And some of them are the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life who I just, as a guy from Romania that I would fly with any day, he just cracks me up and he and I have had lots of fun. He and I would share hotel rooms when I commuted um, because he commuted out of a different city. And the first time we did, I left him a note. You know, and he had a partner for a long time and he's left him and his name's Kazmin, right, from Romania. And uh, so I left him this, you know, beautiful letter. Kazmin, last night was beautiful. I will never forget it. You know, this whole thing. <laughs> And all this kind of stuff. And then he calls me up and he's just cracking up laughing. And he's just like, I told my partner Marty about it. He thinks that's so funny. Whatever. <laughs> so then, I mean, we probably shared rooms for a couple of years. And then he, uh, whoever left first, that was kind of the unwritten rule. You would leave a note for the other guy. And so, you know, there's that stereotype. But then there's. Um, so this is why we're friends. Because I was at a trade <laughs> show. And we rented this huge house. And there were like a whole bunch of different reps in there. And one of the bedrooms had two twin beds. And so everybody was going to go out to the bar. I was like, I'll, I'll be right there. So I pushed the twin beds together. <laughs> and I put a note on there. And it was Rick and Don that were staying in this room. <laughs> and I just said, I thought we would have more fun this way. And I didn't sign it. <laughs> so then though they'd get back. <laughs> I thought the other one would yep. have done it. So this is why you and I get yes. along so well. Now it's you know it's like I said it's lots of fun. I mean there's there's a lot of nice people. It's just like any other job, you know, where that we have like seventeen plus thousand flight attendants now, so it's getting really big. Where obviously it wasn't like that when I first yeah. started, but we, um, you know, I I try to explain to my female friends why you know I'm almost fifty two, I'm not married, never any of that stuff. I go, this is why women. Female flight attendants 
get hit on all the time, but male flight attendants don't. Other than by other female flight attendants. Because I have not had, I have had one girl that I dated in the last 20 plus years that wasn't a flight attendant. Because they just can't, nobody can seem to wrap their head around it. And which just is odd because I'm like, well, it's just like being a business person. It's just, I actually work on the plane and when I get there, I can do whatever I want. They fly on the plane and then they got to go to work. You know, and you can go anywhere. That, so the people that, if you look at any dating site and some chick is telling you she loves to travel, that is bullshit. <laughs> okay. Now maybe it's just me, but I have offered people like where I'm like, I had cool stuff to do. And it wasn't even just like, hey, you got a date. I'm like, listen, my buddy got married on television. I go, do you want to go to Malibu at this estate on top of the mountain with a vineyard and horses and go to this wedding on television? Couldn't buy a date. Like all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff like that. I've got free tickets. This. Like before everything went nuts, I had tickets to the Foo Fighters in Costa Rica. I told whoever, I go, listen, you pay the tax, 60 bucks. I go, I already paid for the hotel. I already got the ticket. Just go. Nobody. <laughs> right? So maybe I'm just a loser. I don't know. But the 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 females, what it is, is stereotypically in TV, movies, whatever, over decades and decades, what are flight attendants? They're easy, they're fun, they're party girls, they're pretty, which lots of times that's true. But then lots of times lately, maybe not so much. So (laughs) um, depends on where you're going, right? Uh, But then uh, if you – I just lost my train of thought there. But the – yeah, so the guys look at it that way and go, well, she's fun, she's pretty, whatever, and they see you in that environment – and just equate that, which is like if you were, man, it's a hot bartender or wherever sure. you are, you're somewhere and it's, let's just say it's a fun atmosphere where you're putting that person in there where they might be the most boring person in the world. They might be mean. Who knows? Um, I go, but that's why a regular guy would look at you and think that he could date you versus not very many chicks on the flight would go, yeah, let's get some male stewardess action. <laughs> Right? It just doesn't really happen. I mean, it does. It does. Um, but a, a friend of ours, watch, well, I don't want to use his name just in case he listens, but he, that guy, goes, steps up to the plate all the time. And all of us just kind of laugh, but at the same time, like, hey, it's, it's the average, right? If you're not stepping up to the plate, you don't know what can happen. And he just keeps lobbing pitches out there and he gets enough hits or, you know, bunts or whatever that it's working um but i just i'm not that person i don't really i've done it a couple times but um and it's always my luck that um i mean i had one girl trying to shove her tongue down my throat on this crazy flight and then of course i have to keep i have one more flight right i don't get to get off here yeah and meet you i have to keep going and another girl like oh you're gonna be downtown night whatever and then i realized i got cock blocked by her friend because didn't know her friend was traveling with her they're sitting on opposite aisles because they're um uh, rows because you know seats or something and she was super sweet and cute and all that kind of stuff and and then i think her friend was like well, we're not calling him because you got all the drinks i didn't get shit i'm like <laughs> well that's not my fault lady so i mean you know but they, there are definite uh stereotypes and you know it plays into that but i i think you got to be weird to have that job you got to be weird because it's not normal to just walk in to a metal tube for eight to 12 hours in a day 
and you know, if you do this international, that could be even longer, but, and to go, I have never met these people in my entire life. And now I got to work with them. And, you know, it's not too complicated, but I had a friend today telling me a story about a brand new person that she's just like, oh, hell no. And this person really laid back. So if they're saying on the first day of the trip that they had to call scheduling, go, one of us needs to get taken off of this. And she's never done that in like 25 years. So, you know, it's, it's hard and it's weird. And then you go on your overnights and you, um, I, I call it a work date, uh, because my buddy Maurice called me one time and he worked for AirTran at the time and now works for us. And he's like basically saying, yeah, man, I, I was flying with this cute girl and we're having a really good time and uh, get done with the day. And we're like, hey, what are you doing? I don't know. You want to get some dinner? Oh, okay, let's get some dinner. All right. What are you doing now? I don't know. Want to go to the movies? All right, let's go to the movies. Uh, and then whatever. Hey, let's go back and have a couple of drinks. He goes, I just went on a date, didn't I? I was like, pretty much. <laughs> right? But it's not, you know, 99% of the time it's not, or it could be turned into something. But I've also been on one of those that I thought was just, hey, we're working and it's better than sitting in your room alone. And then realize in the middle of it, I am on a date. All right? Where I had this girl who, she took me to this little Asian restaurant in Orange County and insisted we go there. It's one of those where you got the two little tables and all the people next to you. And you're just like, Hey, this is not, this is like, they can hear anything I'm saying and it's just like really weird. And then she's like, oh, do you want to have kids? And, da, 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 da. and I'm like, oh shit, I'm on a date, <laughs> right? I don't want to be on a date with this girl. She's nice and all. And then later, like it was right before I moved here because then later I remember when I was getting a rental truck to move to Colorado, she's like, um, hey, I could probably drive with you. You know, I know it's a long drive. I could come with you. And I'm like, well, um, okay. And then she's like, all I got to do is get somebody to watch my ferrets. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, okay. Well, um, when I figure out what day I'm going to go, I'll let you know. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Watch my ferrets. I mean, <laughs> ferret people need love too, but not from me. So, I don't know. So, anyway. But, yeah, it's, it's an interesting life. And, uh, you know, you commute and you that take changes you don't meet as many people and then you uh um you start to see that you know you'll see the same people a bunch and then you won't see them for years and years and years um i mean well there was a couple that was here the other night oh yeah uh so maverick and his wife i remember when i first met maverick here in denver he's like oh yeah your wife was in my class and i was like she was what's her name tells me your name I, i have no idea like I said, we started with 250 people. We left with 150. It was the only time, or for obvious reasons, they would let you leave training <laughs> yeah. if you, whatever. But you could come back later if you wanted to. Some people did, I guess. But 150 people, and I'm like, ah, that doesn't, name, doesn't ring a bell. Oh, she changed her whole name. Like her first name, last name, whatever. But I had not seen her in, you know, at least a decade at that point. Because uh, I guess it's been about that long since the base opened. But somebody I saw recently that I had not seen in 20 years. And it's kind of trippy because you're just like, oh. But, I mean, it could be like any other friend that you, you know, hadn't seen forever. And, but you can sometimes you can fall right back into something depending on how well you knew them. Um, and then, you know, you could get good luck, bad luck. I mean, I sometimes I end up where I'm flying with people that are older than my mom, you know, and all the time. And you're just like, why do I get all the grandmas? Like, some of them are super cool and super nice, but you're just like. And then, you know, my roommate John will fly with somebody and be like, 
two smoking hot chicks, you know, <laughs> stereotypical flight attendants. You're like, yeah, such is my life. So it's all going to, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, it makes sense that you've got 18,000 people or 17, however many you said in the, in the job. And then the office flies around the country and nobody has to live where the office actually starts and finishes. So what, yeah. What other job would be like that? There's I mean, pilot. <laughs> that's yeah, it. yeah. But that's it. Yeah. You just don't, there's nothing like that. Um, I mean, the only thing that could even be equivalent nowadays, maybe just the people that work from home, right. That work remote that can go wherever they want. Like Andrew's getting ready to go to, yeah. um, to, uh, down into Cabo area or something like that. So, but, that's not still not the same thing right he's choosing what he's doing i'm basically this is what i'm getting and this is where i'm going and all of a sudden different people could trade onto it or whatever um like i don't think i know the people i'm working with tomorrow um uh, the next week i do but then all of a sudden they could be gone and you're like wait what happened to Susie? where'd Susie go and they're like oh it's jim right i you know i don't know could be good or bad i mean you know you meet lots of nice people that you uh wouldn't have otherwise and then there's other times you're like you get all the stare the questions it's like almost like a script like for years i thought about doing it and then i thought it would be kind of a dick move where if i made basically here's my info sheet that i would just hand it to you because there's all these oh do you commute oh do you live here oh do you whatever you know these basic questions that everybody answers during the trip at some point some people would tell you more than you would possibly want to know in <laughs> an hour right <laughs> and you're just like i you know i don't need to know about that i really don't and um and other people you know are pretty quiet but i thought yeah here's my here's all the questions you're going to ask me so let's just get this out of the way right and you can read my bio and whatever but i thought that somehow somebody would use that against me and that would be bad i'd end up on social <laughs> media the douchebag here whatever so i don't know but you know it's all good <laughs> ferrets oh my god i'm so laughing about that yeah no thank you that would be a deal breaker for me man ferrets and snakes yeah i and the thing is like if you had kids and the kid had a pet i guess but i was like at the time yeah she was like probably early 30s you know and that's her ferrets I don't know. It just sounds like a bad movie. You know, like I'm going to imagine like me and the ferrets traveling across country in a box truck with this girl I barely know. And then it's like, you know, planes, trains and automobiles. Some just like hilarity ensues kind of deal. There's supposed to be three. Yeah. We only have two. Where's the other one? You know, whatever. I don't know. Where's Sir Charles? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm glad I didn't have that experience. Thank you. Oh, thank you. All right, so, uh, <laughs> sorry, smash cut to the uh, the running store. Where did that come from? Well, so when I, um, before I moved to Denver, uh, I was dating a girl and got my heart broken and all that kind of stuff and lost weight and just stress. My buddy and I call it the Miller Lite and vodka diet because I was drinking Miller Lights and he was drinking vodka and we both lost all this weight. He was getting divorced, you know, whatever. So we're like... How's this? We're drinking a shit ton and we're losing this weight. So then I'm like, well, maybe I should start running again because I was always a runner for years and years. And so uh, not to the extent I became later. But then um, 
so just decided to run this half marathon. And, uh, and that's actually the guy that I ran into the other day. Happy Jack is a captain for us. And he, and he's like, I'm going to run this half marathon in Phoenix in January. I'm like, well, that's right around my birthday. I'll do that. Of course he never showed up and, uh, <laughs> whatever. Um, he's a great guy, but I just saw him the, the other day. He, um, so I go do the race and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. And maybe I should do this every three or four months to keep myself honest kind of thing. And going on and then it got to be where like then you're running all the time and you're doing three or four races a, a, a month and then i start to do um uh, ultra marathons where i decided you know okay i'm going to try this and my first ultra marathon was uh, comrades in south africa which is an amazing amazing event is that 50 or 100 it's 56 is the one i've done okay so there's you go in two different directions so it's 56 or 54 so i've done the 56 uh, a couple times to down um, and hoping to get my fat ass going again for uh, this next day, change it to August. So maybe I can make it. It's like the 100th anniversary. Technically, it was last year, but they didn't run it. So, you know, whatever. Who cares? We'll fudge it, right? <laughs> A little asterisk. But um, so then I started running. Um, I ran at Nike Town uh, because I just knew there was a run club there oh, from walking yeah. around. So when I came to Denver, what I was trying to do, but when I was trying to find a place to live, was I would pick up overnights in different cities that I might be interested in. So I'm getting paid to go check them out. And then eventually when I pretty much settled on Denver, I was trying to fly here all the time and the hotel had a little shuttle downtown and I would go there and I found out, I walked into the Nike town and said, we have run clubs on Tuesdays or whatever it was. And so, uh, and then that's where I met a bunch of the guys that ran with like Alex and Carl and Phil and all them. And then Phil had mentioned at one point that there was, oh, I heard that there was this one at an Irish pub Right. And I was like, oh, and he and I happened to show up on the same day, not planning that we both go to that same one on the same day. And then that became history. And we're all running there. Right. And yeah. Um, and then that went on for years. That's where then, we first met. Yeah. Right? That went on for years and then started running with runners roost the same kind of way where Phil was like, um, well, they have this at this running store. I'm like, OK. So we go down there thinking that we could find someone else to run with because it was like, you know, just change it up or whatever. And different, it was on a different night and everything. I think that was Wednesdays and the snug was Thursdays, I think. Yeah. And then, um, so you had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So if I was in town, that's where I would go. And then, um, you know, come up with different stuff. Well, we go to the Roost one. And then the kind of joke was, well, we didn't really find anybody else to run with because there were the super fast kids. There were probably like 50 yards in front of us, me and Phil, and then another gap of about 50 to 100 yards of the other people. So we're like, well, this is great. We came to meet new people and we're still running with each other. This is beautiful. So, but then started running with the team there and then helping out over the years with different stuff and then going to events because Phil ended up working there and our buddy Ed and some other stuff. And then eventually, um, for me, it was kind of like, well, why aren't they doing certain things? Right. Like, as a, especially as I got in more of the ultra stuff, like, why are you paying to be in an event that you're not trying to make any of that money back? right? Like sell some t-shirts or stickers or I don't know, something, right? Hugs, whatever you got to do to, you know, <laughs> something. And the, uh, this didn't do it. And so over time, and it's like, why don't they carry certain products and why don't whatever? And I was like, well, I think it'd be cool if there was a, a niche shop that was a little more trail ultra stuff. And I'd never done anything like that before. The only other business I had was when I had my pool service and that was just me fixing and cleaning pools and stuff. And it, so it's not like it's like, 
you know, some fortune 500 thing, whatever. I mean, you make a good living doing that, but, um, not the same retail. is obviously not the same. So then, um, but also working full-time as the flight attendant, right? And luckily we had the crew base here now, so I wasn't commuting anymore. So I didn't have to fly back and forth to another city. I just started here and would end here. Then, um, proposed it to a, the family that owned the roost locations earlier, super nice family Schultz. And, um, they were interested. Like I was like, I pitched it as a boutique kind of like this is a niche shop. We'll be part of your thing, yeah. but it's trail ultra, but with the other stuff so that if people were coming to those shops, you didn't have to carry it out. We could kind of have that. That could be our specialty and they had independent stores. So we thought, okay, so it was into that. But by the time that I, was able to put it all together. I didn't borrow any money. It was just me and all that stuff. There was a new owner that had just taken over and he wasn't interested at all. So, I mean, I could tell I had a meeting with him. He didn't have to say anything. I was just like, yeah, okay. Just and didn't he, get when it. He asked me at one point, he's like, why do you want to do this? And, or with us and whatever. I said, well, I've run for your team for like seven or eight years. I go, why wouldn't I? Like, this is, it seems to be like a natural thing. And I, why wouldn't I want to do that? And then I could just tell he wasn't interested. And I just looked at him. I go, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And he's like, what? I go, I'm going to do it anyway. Smart or not smart? I have no idea. <laughs> it's up for debate probably still. But then, um, and then just decided to do it. And uh, I mean, I have to tell you, because um, it doesn't matter now. But the statute of limitations probably ran out. But so the... Um, so I had signed the lease on the house. It was on the, in Tennyson on that old house. Nothing had been done to the house, right? It was just this old, old 1896 house. And I was in the parking lot and I had like a panic attack. And I was like, dude, what did I just do? Like, <laughs> I just signed this lease. I've got this. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I was just like freaking out. And then this is where the Jersey kid in me came out. And I was just like, dude, one oily rag in the basement of that house. No one would know. <laughs> no one. Because the house was, what, 80 years old? Oh, it was like 100-something years old. And I go, and it's falling down. It was a dump. Like, when our friend took us in there, I, I was just like, for real? This was a shithole. And, you know, fixed it up a lot. It turned out to be great and all that stuff. But I'm telling you that one time where nothing had been done, I was just like, I mean, I'm like, I'm an episode of The Sopranos or something. I'm ready to just, like, torch the joint for insurance money. I mean, I wouldn't have got anything out of it except for getting out of it. Um, but then I had a moment of clarity and it was all good and you know, that never happened. Um, but then of course, you know, four plus years, four and a half years, probably after that is when they knocked it down. That was not, that was just dirt lot. But in the meantime, it turned out to, uh, to be, um, it was a lot of fun with the events and the people and that the community of that. Um, cause there are people that you liked and it was, I'm not a sales guy. I'm not, I can't, I won't do that hard sell. It's like, if you want to buy it, you'll buy it right? Like whatever it may be, if you're interested in something, you're interested in, now I can help you with something maybe to get you the right thing. And I'd rather sell you the right thing than anything at all. And I'd just be like, I'm not just trying to get money out the door. Um, and I think people realize that. And I think there's still a market for lots of that, whether, you know, it's a local brewery or just oh, yeah. a local restaurant that people are like, listen, I'd rather go there yeah, it might take longer. It might be a little more money or whatever the deal may be. Like when we would order shoes, people didn't really care, right? Because I'm like, yeah, it might take a week. Okay. You know, where if they go, 
to the mall or whatever, even to the roost, they'd be like, what, what do you mean you got to order it? Oh, never mind. I'll go find somewhere else or I'll go online. So we didn't really have much of that till maybe at the end, there was a little bit of it during the whole uh, lockdown stuff. There were some people that were, you got a little bit of different clientele, but our business actually got busier and busier the last year, uh, two years, I guess. Um, but then once I knew it was, we're going to knock the building down and all that kind of stuff, then it's a matter of like, I mean, I went from running ultra marathons to I'm just a fat bum right now. I mean, in the big scheme of things, am I a big fat dude? No. But for me, I am, right? <laughs> so for me, I'm a bum. But, uh, you know, and it was kind of the joke. Well, now I'm the old fat guy that doesn't even run, that owns a running shop. This is kind of weird. But um, once I knew it was going to close, you know, to move it, it's incur more costs. And it was me and I wasn't borrowing money. Um, then you know, have signed a lease and, and the previous thing it's like I knew one of the owners and then his friends so I got the best deal possible it wasn't free by any means but I got the best deal possible for what you're going to get and everything and that was I was happy with that um, but now I'm going to another place your minimum signing a five year lease and then who knows what's going on and the new guys are finding out that like, the build out's taking a lot longer than they wanted to and everything um, but I was just like I'm just tired I went working two jobs constantly that's like people coming in my roommate some other people they're like oh man i'm so tired i'm like shut the fuck up dude i just <laughs> worked eight hours at the store doing who knows what and i got to get up at five in the morning to go to the airport for you know the next three days and whatever and i made that choice and all that stuff so that's fine right i mean i chose to do it i mean i don't you know i'm not disappointed in how it turned out or anything um other than yeah you know everybody liked to make a zillion dollars or whatever. But I mean, we built a really good community. We had a really good reputation. Um, going to, I could attest to that. Yeah. Going sure. to a trade show where <clears throat> there's two people, you, you have two employees. Like they came and did the, uh, small business Saturday once, um, where a friend of the shops basically worked for a, a TV station. It was like, we need a shop and called up and Phil was working. I was on the airplane somewhere. And, um, he's like, how many employees do you have on TV? He's like, Two and a half. And the guy's like, <laughs> well, I guess that's the definition of small business. Uh, two and a half. So um, not to turn our friend Kay into a half a person, but uh, she she worked there one day a week um, and kicked ass. But the... Oh, she's great. No, no, she's amazing. So um, it was funny because in the beginning, like all she knew was Hoka because that's all she wore or whatever. So it was like, ask Kay about Hoka's. She'll tell you all about it. You know, <laughs> she, I mean, she obviously picked up everything else because she's really smart. But, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time and the community was there, but it was just, I'm tired. I don't want to be locked in there. I don't know if I'm going to stay here anymore in Colorado, whatever. So it was, it was time for me to go. And then um, some friends that were interested um, bought the name and all that kind of stuff. And then since the shop got knocked down and then, um, have moved it over to uh, gold's marketplace, uh, off of Kipling and are waiting to, for the front to get built up. So in the meantime, Berkeley park running company still can't get in, but, uh, BP Runco as they go by now. And, you know, so hopefully the jackalopes live on and then maybe my fat butt will, be able to actually put on one of the jerseys one of these days. And I, I, I think I've done one race Fat in the last man three years. In a little coat. But see, I, what's crazy is I did one race in like the last three years, and it was in Tasmania. I did a 10K in Tasmania. 
as as one of our jackalopes. So I'm I'm bad. I'm international. You know, I, I cannot be contained by fifty states. So, but the vibe you know. created. Now that I've heard more of the Desert Inn stories, is it wasn't a a run shop and it wasn't a run club. It was just a relationship place where people could hang out, whatever you want to call that, whether it's a hotel or whether it's the, the run shop, but it was just people knew each other and it was, it was the best run club I'd, I'd been a part of. I appreciate that. It was, it was kind of, it was the goal was, you know, and you can't, I don't think you can force those things, right? It has to happen organically because you know, we would go to the snug, right? I mean, our table was cool. And those people were fun. But, I mean, as general, would you say it was the same vibe at the snug? Hell no. No. Especially in the summertime. It was that was like a nightclub. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just those people. They were like the fair weather runners. And they're just like the – and you're just like, dude. Or they'd go sprinting by you at the oh. end. I go, yeah, I came here an hour early and already ran 10 miles. Like, what is your – whatever, dude. You that know, was probably it's a lot of lot- bros kind of thing. Yeah. That's probably the last fight <clears throat> I will ever get in was at the fucking snug. <laughs> you remember those two uh, corn-fed slope-head twins? Yes. Those yes. troglodytes? Yes. <laughs> yes. Those guys. Yeah. Inbred Nebraska motherfuckers. Yeah, like I said, it was just, it was very, like I said, you had this small group of people. It was cool because they didn't take themselves too seriously and it was like fun and whatever. And then you got that other stuff. So it was the whole idea is let's make this fun and by, you know, you invite the certain people and whatever. And yeah, you create um, the vibe. Like even when we ran with the roost in the beginning, the team was different. And then it expanded where like, then you'd go to these races. And in the past, it'd be like where you're, hey, good job, Matt. Hey, whatever. You're like, I don't know that dude at all. Like, who are these people? And they weren't even like cheering for their teammates. You're like, this is really weird and this is not something I want to be a part of. I'd rather have this where it's like I said, it's a real thing and the people are there because they want to be there. Um, part of the deal in the beginning was when I asked people if they would like to be on the team, I asked them. I didn't have them apply. I asked people and what I said is, I like, listen, I want you to want to be there. We didn't make people do social media and all that. Yes, that would help. A little shop, but everything there grew organically. We didn't buy, follow, anything like that. And in the end, we had way more than anybody else. And that led to some other business things that were helpful for us. But um, it was just like, hey, man, do you want to be in this? Hey, who's some other nice, cool people? And we got some amazing athletes Yeah, that were like, yeah, we run a run for you guys. I'm like. For real? Like, <laughs> I, I can give you a t-shirt, right? I mean, that's like, that's all I have to offer because I don't really, I'm working a full-time job. Like, this is all I got. And people were super happy about that. And I think because it's more of a real thing, right? And we had a couple pro runner friends of ours that were just like, no, this is our favorite. Like, you know, first it's like a little embarrassing. You think you're just kissing your butt, but they're like, no, this is our favorite running store in the world. They're like, this is what that's we like. Cool. This is because and and we'd get like a relationship we have a hard rock 100 and how do you get the smallest running store anywhere near here to be a sponsor of the hard rock 100 and you know have a good relationship with those people and just and feel like you're part of that and you're like see this is what i'm talking about this is what i want to be part of i don't want to be that other stuff and um you know it's cool like so for the social media part of it we had a somebody I wish I knew who it was, 
but somebody, I was in Tasmania and Phil was working the shop. Somebody in North Carolina, I don't know, wearing our stuff at a race. Then there was a Nike rep there, right? Which of course they, you know, big evil company, blah, blah, blah. I get that. But the Nike trail shit, we were always like, we want that because it's kind of the redhead stepchildren of, yeah. of, of Nike. And that's, that's who we want to be part of. Um, and we are always trying to pick and choose. I don't want to be everything to everyone. It's like, I want the best stuff, the stuff that we think is legit. And, you know, in the past, Nike, every time we talked to him, like, oh, you got to carry these 20 shoes. I'm like, they're all garbage. I don't want that. I want these three or whatever. And so this guy, um, gave his, gave, you got to check out this shop. So that rep started following us on Instagram. Next thing you know, he goes back and shows his boss. His boss starts following us, right? We don't know who these people are. You know, we got like 3,000 followers or whatever it is. And and then he um, decides that on his next trip go around, he's going to stop at the shop. Uh, like I said, I'm camping the Bay of Fires in Tasmania, which is just amazing. And so then uh, Phil messaged me, dude, you're going to get an email tomorrow. I'm not going to tell you about it, but you need to read it. And I'm like, okay. And this big, long personal email from the head of Nike Trail who went to our store and walked in he's just him and phil i guess i don't remember what day of the week this was walks in and uh starts talking to him two hours later realized he never told them who he was or why he was there (laughs) and they had already had like three beers and whatever you know because this is what happens when i'm not there so then i mean i probably would have done it too but anyway so then no it happened when you were there yeah 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 yeah. so i just had to pretend like i was had some I was a serious businessman. So then, uh, and then he finally tells him, and he's like, this is what I want. This is what we've been looking for, right? He goes, I can make money, and I talked to him a bunch, and he's like, I can take, make money off of Dick's Sporting Goods, whatever. He goes, I, I don't care. I don't, I'm not trying to make money off of you guys. He goes, but this is the thing we want to be a part of, right? And that was kind of with the race team and everything else. It has to be like, no, like legit friends and people that are going to support each other, whether you're the last person or the first person, right? And like all the different levels. And I think we got that. I think there was a lot of people there where it's just like anytime we'd get new people, some of them feel a little intimidated or even if they were in the shop and I would talk to them, I go, listen, come by. I go, trust me, we got fast kids. We got slow kids. I don't care if you walk around the block. I don't care what you want to do. Just come here and hang out and then you'll have fun, right? I would and go then, and I wouldn't even run. I know. Well, yeah, there's people that do that too. <laughs> they would come in and they just, next thing you know, they're sitting in those chairs over there and they're just like, I'm like, you guys running? No. Where's the beers? Oh, it's right here. I'm like, I don't have the snacks out yet. Hold on a second. So, yeah, that's the whole thing. You just come and hang out and it was, I don't know, but that was the whole point. So I'll, I'll miss that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because um, like I said, for the events and everything, that's really what made it uh, worthwhile. Like, you know, going to the races, supporting everybody. Uh, this last year, I finally got to watch Hard Rock 100. I would always had to go and then leave or whatever. Yeah. Um, but to be standing there with like, probably 20 of the best runners in the world within like 10 feet of me and their families and other people. And they're just all cheering for everybody. I'm like, see, this is sick. Right. And then that's, that's fun. And that's, that's the thing you kind of miss, but, um, but I don't miss like doing all the other stuff. Like having time to myself right now is we go, Hey, you know what? I don't have anything to do today. I mean, I do like anybody else, but you're like, I don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I could go to the movies if I want to. <laughs> I went to the movies a couple months ago. I went to see James Bond. And I was like, this is awesome. 
I just didn't, you know. So pluses and minuses to everything, but um, happy I did it, and uh, hopefully it lives on for quite a while, and you know they can continue that trend. I mean, just like anything else, you know, somebody else's baby now, but you hope that it would still be that place that people yeah. want to go and uh, and hang out and just be there, and that there's something cool that they want to be a part of, and as long as that's going on, um, then that's legit. I love fucking with Phil because I, I wouldn't even run. I'd be, you know, dressed like I'm dressed now, bands and pants and a T-shirt. And so I would always get there early and have a beer. And half the time you were flying and uh, people would like come in. I was like, and I'd just, I'd be the greeter. Yep. And just, hey, yeah, we're going to go run around the lake. They're like, are you running? I was like. No, nah, I'm, I'm co-captain, but I don't run. <laughs> yeah, you're co-captain of the run club. That's why I remember you were asking me that one night, and then Phil was all pissy. I, you must have said something to him before. He's like, rah, rah, rah. I'm like, of course you can. Of course you can be co-captain. I'm like, I don't care. Whatever. Make up whatever you want as long as it keeps you happy. <laughs> and yeah. then uh, I did the the Thursday – or what, what, was, what night was the trail run at, uh, at North Table? Mondays. <clears throat> I did that once. And I got smoked because I don't run uphill yeah. a whole lot. I run whatever. I run three miles a week. And so from then on, I'd take my mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would be I would be the official Berkeley Park trail running mountain right. bike team. Yes. yes. <laughs> Phil yeah. really didn't like that. No. no. <laughs> that point needs to lighten up, man. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, it's like for years, uh, different people in my life, whatever – Sometimes I would try to figure out what the perfect word was for somebody, like the, disc- the whatever I'm trying to say. Descriptor. Yeah, yeah. So it was surly. I came up with that. I mean, it was a long time ago. I was like, surly. That's a good word for Phil. Um, <laughs> there was a guy I knew, an Australian guy from work, and I got along with him really well, but I was like, man, what a dick. Right? Like to other people. Like working with him, so finally abrasive was like this guy's name. You know, yeah. That he was adjective, I guess is the word I'm looking for. But he, um, but yeah, Phil could be surly, but I mean, you know, it depends. Like everybody's got their thing, and uh, he's a good buddy. It, man. No, it, compl- I like it complements everything. And that's the thing. Yeah. It's like there was all kinds of people there. Um, I mean, you know, in the beginning, uh, we were both a little worried because uh, we thought it might be a little like too dude heavy, and we're like what are we supposed to do? I'm like, you're trying to make this what it is. You don't want it to be like, sorry, you can't come anymore because there's too many dudes. Right. But then we're like, let's make it more friendly for women. So, you know, I had a couple of different speakers, different. We tried to get all kinds of different things. And the same thing with the speakers. Let's get something different. Let's get something that not everybody has. Yeah. Yes. You can get some pro to come in and tell you how great they are and all that kind of stuff. But you can also get the pro to come in and tell you something really cool. And it's like, stories like when i did my uh used to be in charge of my high school reunions and stuff and i remember like at the 10th one i had people in there it's like they're reading me their resumes oh i hate that shit. and i was like dude everyone has at least one kick-ass story i don't care how lame you think you are you have at least one amazing story i want to hear that and i started with my friend diana who i went to high school with and later in college and whatever and then she proceeded to tell me this amazing story. Now, I knew a lot of her stories because I'd known her for a long time. But I was like, tell me that. Because there was a couple people that I said this to. And then Diana told us a story. And I was like, yes, 
right? See, this is what I'm talking about. And then the other people opened up and they started telling us crazy stuff. I'm like, see, I would never know that about you. I don't care what degree you got from whatever. I mean, that could be interesting in, in context, but I go, but as What was a, her story? Oh, I don't even remember, but she ended okay. up, she ended up doing <clears throat> like documentary films like uh, later um, in the last like decade. She was like in Cambodia and Thailand and doing all this crazy stuff. So, you know, very interesting people. And one of the guys I remember, and I don't remember his story, but He's like a hedge fund guy, right? So you don't think he's going to be whatever. And same thing, I told him, like, Lawrence, tell me a really good story. And I remember him just telling me this super funny thing. I go, see? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> tell everybody that story, right? That's freaking great. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And I was like, yeah, this is why this is fun. Cause, and that's why I think people don't like going to, like, reunions and crap like that. Because yeah. they feel like. It's boring as hell. But it's boring. And what if I haven't, I'm not a millionaire. <clears throat> or I'm not a movie star. You know, whatever. I don't know. And, uh, so, you know, and then I tried telling just stupid stories, like when I was parking cars in Vegas and just whatever, you know, when I had my pool service, dumb shit that happened there, whatever. And people were like, oh, okay. And then they open up some more. So I think that whole thing with the run club was, yeah, you could be yourself and be goofy and be fun and do whatever. And I mean, there were lots of nights where we had to like kick them out. Like, dude, it's 10 o'clock, go home. <laughs> Right, the football game's over now because, like, you know, a lot of times on Thursdays they have like the football game on or something. We're just like, okay, go home. And then Phil get mad sometimes because he's just like, I've been there all day. Yeah. And like, you can go home. I'll clean up. Whatever. I'll kick these clowns out. But then there are nights that I wasn't there that I had made a shot ski and I made a pint board. I think I'm the only one that's ever made a pint board. Right. So it's got three pint glasses on the snowboard. And there are times when I would see the pictures and videos later because I wasn't there. And I was like, oh, way to be. And then, like, <laughs> and then one, I think it was like Super Bowl, they were shotgunning beers, but they were using uh, ice axes. To, I'm like, dude, this is going to go through the can into somebody's hand. Do it in the alley where it's not my property, where I don't get sued and all this kind of stuff. But I was like. Okay, I'm, you know, there's got to be a line. Somebody has to be the adult and say, no, no. <laughs> but, um, you know, lots of fun stuff. We still have got to do the the Bandito Cross 10K, where there's the cross yes. race and there's the... Cycle cross, cross race. That yeah. would be a lot of fun. Cycle cross, cross country. That's what, yeah. Well, so when Bandito Cross... No, wait, when was it? It was Halloween. Halloween, so it was October. Okay, yeah. I was gonna think I was like, wait, when was that? Yeah. So all right, so we'll just assume next October that there's gonna be a double. All right. All right. I can make it happen. <laughs> make it happen. But um yeah, it's cool. Nice job, dude. Thanks. Look for Sully on a flight. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, got no, I got no place to send people to Don't fucking bother me. <laughs> <laughs> now I've had people on my flight I've flight attendants and other people on my flight or i mean um uh, regular people runners and all the stuff on my flights that uh you know I had one guy come out of the bathroom once and like looking at me and i'm in the front and i'm like what is he looking at right. <laughs> he's like he goes what's your name and i was like chris he's like how oh, your last name and i told him he goes yeah i went to high school with you dude <laughs> you know whatever so i mean you never who you're gonna run into i ran into a kid that um last time i had seen him this is years ago now but last time i had seen him he was probably like five feet tall and it was the last day when i moved from ohio to new jersey when i was a kid all our friends came before we got on the airplane on halloween and uh 
I got in trouble because I remember playing football and I had like grass stains all over my nice dress pants. <laughs> my mom was all pissed because, you know, you're supposed to dress up to be on a plane back then. But anyway, I was talking to this kid on the plane and he finally goes, he goes do you have a brother Steven? I go, no. no. Or I mean, uh, Scott, he asked. I go, no. I said, I had uh, 10 brothers and sisters. I go, uh, none of them named Scott. I go, but I do have Steven. And he goes, that's it, that's it. And he's like, dude, you lived in a red brick house. You went to this. And you have 10 brothers and sisters? Yeah, my dad had 11 kids. <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry, you got to pay extra for that podcast. No, right, that'll be part two. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go drink some beer. <laughs> yeah, my dad had 11 kids. So, crazy. So, seven and then four. I'm the oldest of the four. And, uh, yep, my mom had all boys. Cool beans. Nice job, buddy. All Thank right, you. Thanks. All right. It's acceptable. Oh, nice work. All right. Do I have to have my agent call for my residuals? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just send me your uh, your Bitcoin account. It could be we'll like, uh, so this guy, Dave, I worked with. Well, I still work with him. He's out of Baltimore. Retired New York City cop. It's not recording anymore, right? Cause he's Wait, hold on, let me stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> Talk to you later. <laughs>Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple transistor or spotify and i know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest and if you do please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com thanks for listening